going to be tonight in Revelation chapter 13. I misspoke uh, this, this morning as I study ahead. I sometimes forget where we've left off. So Revelation 13, you can look there if you would. A recent article noted that I was reading that illegible handwriting costs businesses $200 million a year. These hieroglyphics account for Kodak being stuck with nearly 400,000 unreturnable rolls of developed film each year. Poor writing results in the U.S. Postal Service annually sending 38 million pieces of mail to its dead letter office at a cost of $4 million a year. It was also recorded that secretaries say they spend more time trying to figure out what the boss intended for them to do than doing the chore itself. And Lawana says amen to that. It's uh, truly amazing how much trouble careless writing can produce. Communication is, uh, is prevented, frustrations created, and monetary loss sustained because someone didn't do well to make it clear. God, of course, though, has uh, no such trouble. 66 books, we have God's legible message to man found succinctly, and particularly in one verse, John 3.16, right? Uh, you can understand that very clearly. A five-year-old can understand that, and it's profound enough to make a grown man weep. And so... As we uh, look at God's word, the question is not whether or not God's word is readable and legible. The question or not is whether God's word is read, right? And that's the issue. We want to make sure we take some time each day to get into the word and see uh, what he has to say and make that our priority. And that's what we'll do today. Um, as we think about the last time we were together, Revelation chapter 12, we were introduced to a number of signs that John witnesses in heaven. And these, once again, are chapters that allow us to kind of fill in some gaps. Uh, we get to these from time to time as John has given this vision. And just as a review, we saw Israel, uh, that was a woman with child. We saw Jesus as the child. Uh, we saw Satan, who has always tried to persecute and destroy both of those. We saw in verse 3 of chapter 12 that uh, Satan had seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. So he has authority, he's been given authority over kingdoms, and we saw those kingdoms as Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the final kingdom of the Antichrist. And so we've got those down, we saw some cross-references to help us understand that. We saw the story in chapter 12 of Satan's initial fall from heaven, and then we also see, and we get to pick up there in that story and see at the halfway point through the tribulation, that he and the demons who have had access to heaven then since the fall are kicked out of heaven by Michael and the holy angels. They are restricted to earth. And so we kind of saw that and a question came up. It was a very uh, insightful question. Why uh, do we see the, uh, the history of Satan's fall along with the present activity during the tribulation? That's a great question. It's hard also uh, when you say, why did the Lord include certain things in this portion of the scripture? But I think that we can look at that and see kind of a continuing story. The Lord filled in the gap from the previous, uh, from Satan's fall, uh, his initial fall from his high, very high position. Uh, and then we see the rest of the story, which is that he continues then in this fallen state to persecute uh, God's people. And so we see halfway through, he is kicked out of heaven. And at that point, he will try to, as we see in the vision, John seeing him do it, we know then for our future, that during this halfway point and on, he will try to attack believing Israel, and they are going to be supernaturally protected by God. And so then we saw right there towards the end, he's going to turn his wrath on the rest of the believers who are on earth. And we saw that it's a time of great distress, it's a time of great fear and terror, it's a time of great sorrow for the earth and those on it, a terrible, terrible time. Now, chapter 13 picks up 
another detail happening at this time. It introduces us to the Antichrist or the beast. Uh, that is the world ruler, and he is something to behold. He leads all this attack on God's people. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 13. William, we're going to read all the way through uh, those first 18 verses, and then we'll come back, okay? So just hold right there, okay? Uh, let's look at verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Verse 4. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And... Who is able to wage war with him? Verse 5. There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Verse 7. And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10, if anyone who is, is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Verse 13. He performs great signs so that even, he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those, verse 14, who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Verse 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Verse 16. And he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is verse 18, wisdom, that him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Let's stop right there. And let's go back and take, take a look at those verses one by one, if you would. Let's look back at verse 1, if you would. <clears throat> kind of fill in some gaps. Verse 1 says, The dragon and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Now, that, the best rendering of that first sentence is, And the dragon stu stood on the sand of the seashore, not I stood. That was a uh, scribal error that's been corrected, but some Bibles may still have that. But the best rendering is, The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. This is part of the sign of the dragon that we saw earlier, beginning in chapter 12, verse 3. Let's keep going. Then I saw a beast coming out of this, up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, 
and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Now the beast is the Antichrist. You can just fill that right in if you would. The beast is the Antichrist. <clears throat> and the sea here represents the nations. Uh, there are some who say the sea might represent the abyss, and they say then this mighty uh, demon is going to come up out of the abyss who would empower the Antichrist. Uh, but that appears to be inconsistent with an understanding that it is Satan himself who will empower the Antichrist, uh, which we have seen earlier, and then we will see again in verse 2. So the sea then, representing the nations, is really consistent with Scripture's use of sea imagery. And uh, in referring to nations, uh, the sea roaring, the nations roaring, the sea, Satan has power, Ezekiel 28, 2. It says, in the seat of the gods, the heart of the sea. Um, and so we just see this imagery through, so it's likely that this sea kind of represents the nations themselves. The description of him is similar. Every ruler or every ruler who has considered himself God or thinks of himself because of his own strength or power that he has dominion uh, has been much like this ruler. This ruler, of course, uh, is going to be the epitome of that. At the climax of world history, this Antichrist is really going to be everything that all these other uh, rulers who've come before, all the great rulers of the world that we know from world history who've considered themselves as God or consider themselves all-powerful, uh, he will be the perfect one of those, okay? And so we have, if you've studied history at all, you know uh, how many men have come along and claimed themselves to be God or claimed themselves sovereign power or dominion over all the earth. Well, the Antichrist will be that person for real. Satan has practiced with all these others. This is the one that will actually have that. And so at this climax of world leadership, it'll be that way. Just as a, just a reminder from the Bible, you remember, of course, Nebuchadnezzar, verse uh, Daniel 4, 28, uh, it says, all this happened to, king, to Nebuchadnezzar the king, 20, verse 29, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, verse 30, the king reflected and said, is not this Babylon the great? Now listen to these words, which I myself have built as a royal residence by my might and my power and for the glory of my majesty. See, that's not unusual from words that have been offered up to men who have ruled different nations from time to time. And Nebuchadnezzar offered those up. Of course, we know that's all foolishness, right? Because there's no ruler who rules apart from what the Lord has allowed them to rule. No one has that sovereign authority, but yet they take it on themselves. Verse 31, while the world was in, word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And so he gets a, a very valuable lesson. Go to that next slide, if you would, William. And there's a picture right here of part of the old Babylon. It's inscribed, and what it's inscribed with is, I'm Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world. Isn't that great? And so he's thought of himself that way. Well, as you think about these kings, and this is just one example of many we could look at, but as you think about these kings, realize that this is, this is not an unusual trait for kings, uh, that they consider themselves the world ruler, or they consider themselves sovereign. We certainly know of Rome and, and how the Caesars then began to be worshipped. And so this is not unusual, but go back to, if you would, Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Let's see some more about this beast of the Antichrist. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. Now, remember, those are word cues, right? When we see these things like like or as, we recognize that we're, getting, uh, we're, we're being given a symbol, which represents something else. We, we know that we're going to fill in some gaps by the, the, the context. Uh, we can understand what he looks like. He's not a leopard, but he looks, he's got, uh, he's similar to a leopard, and his feet uh, were like those, once again, there's word cues, of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And so they're describing some of the attributes of these animals, which we'll look at in just a minute. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And so 
Uh, here's the beast. He is the Antichrist. He has the power of the dragon who is Satan, right? When the scripture speaks of the dragon, he speaks of Satan. When it speaks of uh, the beast, it speaks of the Antichrist. And he says he looks, he uh, saw, he was like a leopard, a reference to Greece, reference to their swift military might. Uh, and so Satan would know he was there. Uh, he knows what that's all about. A bear reference to the Medo-Persian Empire. This is tremendous strength, uh, tenacity in a fight. And so he looks like a bear. He, his feet uh, like those of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Uh, reference to the Babylonian Empire and how fierce they were in expanding their domain. So some of his attributes will be like this, okay? And we just take it for what it says. We take it literally, understand that they're making some comparisons here. And we know what those things are because in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel 7, uh, Daniel gives us this vision uh, of the beasts and uh, corresponds them with successive kingdoms, uh, which we know from history did exist. So it's not hard to connect uh, the animals that are being referred to with the kingdoms that they represent because the Bible has already explained that to us in Daniel. So we can identify the imagery here by using the Bible then uh, back in Daniel. Now, the reason he looks like the dragon, he's similar to the dragon, Satan, is because the Antichrist receives his power and his throne and his great authority from Satan. Okay? So now look at verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. Now the heads represented, we saw this last time, the heads represent the seven major world empires. And once again, and we know these from history, we know Daniel had given us uh, the understanding here in prophecy, and that prophecy has been fulfilled with the exception of the last one, which is the kingdom of the Antichrist. But we have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the final kingdom of the Antichrist. All right, now, the heads represent that, one of his heads, uh, this last kingdom of which the Antichrist his head is wounded, all right? And that's likely because he is the Antichrist and that he will appear to rise from the dead, just like whom? Just like the real Christ, right? And that shouldn't surprise us if he appears to rise from the dead. If he is the false Christ, he's also going to take on some of the attributes of the true Christ. And so it says that he had a head which was wounded uh, but has healed. And so, and there's some more clues later in this passage, but uh, he's just like the real Christ in that respect, tries to make it appear that he has been slain and risen. And of course, this will help in the deception of millions of people as they will see this occur. And this really, I think, is probably the, the beginning of his authority. Now remember, the Antichrist has been active since the beginning of the tribulation period, but he has this great authority that occurs for about 42 months, and I think that probably is the time when that is gonna begin. Now look uh, back again, if you would, at verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed, and followed after the beast. Verse 4. They worship the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. So they're going to worship whom, really? Satan. And that's always how it's been, right? We, always, we understand that from the scriptures. Anytime people have worshipped false gods, the Psalms tell us that they've really worshipped whom? They worship demons, and when they're worshiping demons, they're really worshiping the head of all the demons, which is Satan himself. False religion is always about that, and the Lord has always given uh, that little bit of movement, that little bit of authority. Uh, Satan has a little bit of authority uh, right now. It's been given to him to rule here and do some certain things, and the demons have also been given a little bit of room. You can just think of them as spirits with lines drawn around them. Yes, they can do some things. No, they can't do anything they want. Okay, but here you have this, uh, this authority, 
They're going to worship the dragon, really in essence, because he's giving his power, authority to the beast. And it says they worship the beast. So the Antichrist himself is going to receive worship to himself. All right? Now, all this is all set up to deceive. And that's exactly what it's going to do, because we're in a time of wrath, aren't we? This is a time of wrath is being poured out. And we saw this morning that no believer ever has to fear being under what? Wrath. You're no longer under wrath, are you? Because the wrath was poured out on Christ. And you've been delivered from wrath. And this is wrath. And so the Lord is allowing them to deceive, deceive millions. And here's what they're going to say. Now listen to the words that they say. Because remember, he's the Antichrist. So he's the false Christ. But he's going to be receiving this worship. Here's what they'll say. Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war against him? Now these are the things we say about whom? We say that about God, right? Who is like God? And who is able to wage war against God? And who is like the God on high, right? We say those things about the Lord because that's how the Psalms model for us. But here they're going to say that about the Antichrist. Who's like him? Who's able to wage war with him? He's awesome, right? He can take on anyone. No one can keep up with him. And Satan's right here where he's always wanted to be, isn't he? That was the cause for his original fall and where he has been since the fall. But here, and have we seen on Sunday morning uh, earlier, we saw that all men and women who do not worship God as he's re been revealed to us actually are worshiping Satan anyway. And so we understand here that this is, uh, uh, worship is centralized. Everybody's going to be saying it now, all right? And so let's look at verse 5. There was given to him a mouth. Now, he's only allowed to speak these things. Remember, all these things, these are wonderful word cues for us. He's given a mouth. He's given authority. Who's he given it by? Who has all authority? The Lord does, right? So he's only given this authority for a temporary time, isn't he? He's given a mouth to speak these words, right? And all people on the earth can, could actually agree, understand that, right? Non-believers who blaspheme God, they've been given a mouth, haven't they? The Lord's created everything, hasn't he? Remember that? Right? We are, we are not, we didn't create ourselves. He's made us, not we ourselves. We are the sheep of his pasture, right? He's made all things. And people on earth have been given mouths for certain periods of time, and some use them to blaspheme the Lord. So they've been given certain authority over a certain small time in their life, and, uh, but that all that authority comes from the Lord, and it even comes from the Lord here on this great grand scale. For a certain amount of time, he's been given a mouth, speaking arrogant words, it says, verse 5, and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. So there's some things that are going to go on during these 42 months, this last half of the tribulation. But he only gets this authority for a short time. And uh, he is at work, of course, through the beginning of the trib, but he gets this authority for this last half. And uh, once again, Satan, nor disobedient man, nor demons have ever removed themselves from God's authority, right? Um, it appears that they have, right? They've removed themselves out from under God's authority. They do whatever they want, but we understand from Scripture that no one and no thing that's ever been created is ever outside of God's authority. He may give them some certain room to do certain things at a certain time, but no one's ever been removed from God's authority. And people who live at a hedonistic lifestyle, who do whatever they want, although it appears that they have no authority in their life except their own, they are not under God's not, have not removed themselves from God's authority, nor any demon or any created thing is out from under the authority of the Lord. So he's given them time to do this. Uh, he's given them an opportunity because this is a time of wrath. Many will be deceived and things will be said that people will believe that are not true. We're going to see this kind of as the pinnacle of history. This has gone on since the creation of men, but here it'll become to really a, a focal point, a centralized worship of the opposite of Jesus. And so here, this is a time of wrath. Look at verse 6. And he opened his mouth 
in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name. That's all of his attributes. God's name is about his attributes, who he is, right? So blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. That is those who dwell in heaven. That's angels who minister and do God's bidding. Okay, so he's going to blaspheme God and all of his attributes and all the holy angels. He's going to blaspheme them as well. Now, this awful period called the Great Tribulation, which is the last half of the Tribulation period, begins with the abomination that brings desolation. And uh, Matthew 24 talks about this. Go ahead to the next one, William, if you would. The Antichrist uh, sets himself up in the Tribulation Temple, proclaims himself to be God, sacrifices an unclean animal on the altar. I am sure that uh, he goes through the whole process and enjoys and relishes every step of it, uh, offering blood on the altar, bringing uh, some into the holy place and the holy of holies where he's going to sit himself. But he offers this uh, abomination that causes desolation. And uh, verse 7, it says, It was also given to him to make war uh, with the saints and to overcome them. And he's going to be allowed to make war with the saints, and many of these saints will be massacred. And these are saints who have come to Christ since the rapture. Let me give you just a minute to copy down those things, if you'd like. Go back one time, buddy. There you go. Thank you. And you're getting good back there, Will. All right. We'll talk about this more. This is going to come up again, and we'll kind of fill in some gaps. And much has been written about this. We understand, uh, we understand a near fulfillment, and we understand a far fulfillment. And so we're going to see this far fulfillment is going to occur during this tribulation period. And we'll get more to it as we talks more, as the scriptures talk more about it. All right? Now, um, all right, buddy, you can go on. Verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So he's going to be allowed to make war, and many are going to be massacred. And these are the saints that came to Christ, have come to Christ since the rapture. So the rapture occurs, the church is taken away, uh, but there's still a witness, right? There's 144,000 of them, and there's two witnesses, right? The two olive trees that will, that will, the two lampstands that will witness about the Lord and bring all these signs, and many will be saved. No question about it. The Lord is still gracious. To offer salvation, even during this time where wrath is being poured on the earth, many will be saved, and, all, and there's been many references to this, and of course, verse 7, again, references that there are going to be saints there on the earth who have come to Christ since the rapture, and he will wage war against them and overcome them, a terrible time for uh, those who are on the earth as believers, a terrible time for all men and women on the earth. Look back at verse 7. It's also given him to make war. So once again, he's given authority, right? He doesn't have it unto himself. He doesn't take it when he wants it. He gets it during a certain period of time. And he is allowed to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So this short period of time, verse 7 says, he has this authority. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written down I've written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. So he's going to have some authority during this time. And you can see this uh, in your notes. Go ahead to the next one, William. He'll have authority over those who are not born again. Okay? Those who are not redeemed at this time, he will have authority over. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Okay? And so they'll be deceived. Make no mistake. Nobody's going to, who's not redeemed, nobody's going to say, oh, I don't think he's legitimate. Okay? 
This is a deception time. The Lord's allowing the, the maximum amount of deception to go on here. There's always been deception in different places and different times, of uh, some varying magnitude. But here, everything's brought to a focal point, centralized worship of a false Christ. Okay? And so we see this. He's going to have authority over those who are not born again, but he has no authority over whom? What does it say? Those whose names have, been written, names have been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. Those who've come to faith during this time, he's not going to have any authority over them. Okay? That book is never altered. Those who have been saved will not be under his authority. And in that respect, it's no different from the church age, right? Because that book's not altered, and those uh, who are in the church age, Satan has no authority over them. All right? The Antichrist can never take away the salvation of any of the elect. That book is never altered. No salvation is ever lost. Certainly we've looked through that just in a very brief time uh, from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We know that salvation is forever, isn't it? That God has done his work and it's forever. Now look at verse 9. Here's one of those little clues that I love. I just kind of mark these in my Bible when I hear these because these all help us to understand some things. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now, you were with me through this whole study. What's missing out of that comment that we've heard a bunch of times before? What the Spirit says to the... He didn't say that, did it? Why? Because the church isn't here, is it? And so he's not saying what the Spirit says to the churches because the church is gone, isn't it? So anyone has an ear, let him hear. That's not by itself this huge you know, foundational verse, but once again, Scripture's consistent, and it's nice to hear that kind of thing. You can pick up on that as you read through there and say, hey, there's something missing here that I saw a bunch of times before, but I don't see it here now. That's because the church isn't here. Now look at um, verse 10, if you would. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Now, that's just a warning, I think, and an encouragement to those who uh, are believers at this time of great trouble. Uh, the, the New Living Translation helps to make it clear. It's rendered like this, verse 10, and New Living Translation, I like this. People who are destined for prison will be arrested and taken away. Those who are destined for death will be killed. But do not be dismayed, for here is our opportunity to have endurance and faith. That's a nice way to render that, isn't it? That's basically what it means. Now God says, I'm going to take care of it all, but it's going to be bad. And there's going to be difficult times for you on the earth. And if you're not a believer now, And you think you can wait, and you think uh, as you talk to people, and they're not too concerned about it, they know a little bit about church, maybe a little bit about the Bible, they're not too concerned about this whole thing. Uh, verses 7 through 10 should terrify you, right? If you are using the sword, it's likely you're going to be killed by the sword. If you're destined for captivity, you're going to go to captivity. But here's a chance to shine, okay? Here's a chance to make God known. Here's a chance to glorify Him. Here's the perseverance and the faith of the saints. They're going to stick with their testimony regardless of what's going to happen to them. The Antichrist has tremendous power given to him for a moment. The Antichrist has tremendous influence given to him for a moment. The Antichrist has a companion that's been given to him. Let's look at verse uh, 11, if you would, to the end. It introduces the false prophet. Let's look at him. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So he had a deceptive speech, and he had some power. Okay, we know that's... Those word pictures, okay, we've seen those already. Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. 
So he has great authority. He makes great boasts. He's going to be able to speak like the Antichrist. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And so he's going to, as we see this, this association with this fatal wound being healed and this false prophet, we realize he's going to make, a, he's going to make much of this, of this uh, apparent resurrection. Verse 13, he performs great signs. And that's the same word to describe Jesus' signs in uh, John 2.11. So he counterfeits Jesus. He's going to perform these great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. So he can call down fire from heaven. We've seen examples of that in the scripture. But once again, it's given to him for a moment. This is a time of deception and a time of wrath poured out on the earth. Okay? Now, verse 14, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who, once again, here's this reference, right, had the wound of the sword and has come to life. So once again, he's going to make, he's going to command the world to make an image so we can, they can worship this image. But this image has this reference to this wound that had slain the, the Antichrist and brought him back to life again. Now, verse 15, apparently. Verse 15, And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. Now, contrary to what's normally true about idols in Psalm 135, 15, where they have lips but they don't speak, right? Uh, but they don't breathe and they can't walk and all those things. Here in particular, uh, because this is a time of wrath, this is a time of deception, the world is always in rebellion, right? And rebellion is the spirit of what? The Antichrist, right? So here in rebellion, the world's been in rebellion, here they're going to get what they've asked for. Uh, they're going to ask for, they've asked for this rebellious heart and they get this Antichrist who is the pinnacle of rebellion. And they're going to get this false prophet who's going to speak on behalf of the Antichrist. And he is going to be able to give breath to this image. And so this image is going to be created. It's going to be able to speak. And so that the image of the beast, it says, would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, who's not going to worship the image of the beast? Right? The ones we just saw just a minute ago, believers, right? Those who are destined for the sword or those who are destined for prison. Uh, they're not going to worship the image of the beast, Right? You and I wouldn't do it, and we, we certainly understand that at that time, the Lord will give grace to them to understand that it's not okay to make a deal with the Lord. Okay, Lord, I'm just going to bow down real fast, but, you know, I'm with you. All right, none of that, okay? Uh, they're not going to do that. They're going to persevere. They're going to have faith, and uh, they're going to be like Daniel and his, uh, his companions, very much like that, I think. doesn't matter what happens to us. We're not bowing down to your idol, and he may deliver us, and he may not. The Lord may deliver us. He may not. We're not bowing down. I think this is very similar, but here... Uh, he is able to kill those who won't worship uh, this image of the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is his cohort. And it, this is not unusual like Pharaoh had Janus and Jambres in Exodus 7 and 2 Timothy 3. Like Balak had Balaam, right? There's always, there always a false prophet along with, uh, with these guys like Absalom had Ahithophel, right? There's always, there's always these false ones giving false information, making sure people do uh, the wrong thing. The Antichrist will have his cohort and his job is to Point everybody to the Antichrist. Tell everybody to worship the Antichrist. They'll tell everybody to worship the beast. All right? Now, he is given power to make the image talk. He's given power to kill all those who won't bow down to it. And uh, maybe he puts a demon right into this image. I don't know how he's going to accomplish that. Uh, and it does the bidding of the false prophet. It's really hard to say. I remember idols, we've talked about this before, as people worship idols, really believe the Lord allows as people bow down to the tree or to a statue or whatever, I think that the Lord allows a certain amount as they pray to this for people who have hearts that are deceptive and turned away from the Lord. He allows just enough to happen to keep them coming back, right? 
They read the tarot cards. They do all these things. Just enough things true to keep them hooked. If they want to be deceived, they can be. But here, it's just pure deception. And it's just very, very difficult, I think, for people as they look at this to turn away. They won't want to turn away from uh, this idol. They want to follow what, and do what it says. It's going to speak. And the world now is so utterly demon-influenced. Remember, we talked about this before. Uh, demons are swarming everywhere. We, they've even able to make an image speak, and it draws the whole world to worship the Antichrist. That is the job of the false prophet. Now, John says that in his vision, look at verse 16, if you would, and we're going to begin to wrap up here. And he causes all, it says, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, if you had all the volumes and articles that have been written on that section of Scripture, I don't think they would all fit in this building. Okay, everybody speculates on all of that thing, all of that stuff, and you may have some ideas about that. I just want to go with what the scripture says, okay? And let's just understand that amount, because I really truly believe that that last little section there will only really be understood by those who are believers in the tribulation period. They'll be able to have the wisdom to put all that together, okay? Uh, there's some great. I don't want to. I don't want to diminish the reading. There's some great reading about this, okay? And I want to encourage you to do the reading. But I would just say there's lots of stuff that's written probably shouldn't be written. Let's just look and see what the scripture says. Basically, uh, John saw that if you didn't have a number, you couldn't buy or sell. Okay? So that's a warning. Not only will you have to worship the beast, and the false prophet will, will create an environment where worshiping the beast is the thing to do. If you won't worship the beast, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. You can't operate in that society. And the number is 666. Okay? Now, the number itself, I think, is not as important as what it represents, okay? Because it's the number of man. That's what the scripture says. It is the number of man. Now, the number of God is always the perfect number seven. And the number of man is represented by the number six. So this is the number of man's system, okay? And as we've seen, it's counterfeit. Everything about this time period is counterfeit to what the Lord has set up. The Antichrist is counterfeit. The false prophet is counterfeit. And uh, this whole system here, uh, man's system, is the counterfeit God's system. God's system operates around uh, the things that, uh, that we see in the Gospels and the New Testament and how to align our life and make our life uh, pleasing to the Lord. Man's system is the opposite of that. It's a counterfeit system. There's uh, some significance to the number, but not beyond what the text says, okay? And uh, perhaps his name has a numerical equivalent. Uh, like I said before, I think the true understanding will come for those believers who are there in the tribulation. They'll be able to put those things together. But whatever it is, when he is revealed, there will be some way to identify him with the number of man. Okay? Now, chapter 14, we're going to see the 144,000. And I like this because what's on their heads? On their heads is God's name. Isn't that great? God's name is on their heads. The Antichrist and his followers will be identified with the name of the Antichrist or the number of his name. Okay, so it's just a false system. Understand, that's the imagery, that's the understanding, that's the, uh, the context of this text that John is trying to get across to us. They're going to be identified by him uh, and his name in a future day. And what's interesting is here is you can't operate in this society without a number on your forehead, okay, or on your hand. 
and we're practically there now, aren't we? You know, 50 years ago, we couldn't say that. Really, 30 years ago, perhaps, not as much, but where we are now, we're practically in this type of system now, a cashless society. Uh, if you've got an Android phone, uh, the stuff that that can do is just amazing to me. You can scan the TV, you can go into certain department stores, and you can, you can just scan the things you want, and they'll bring them up to the front. That's just a cool uh, little instrument that the Lord has allowed the world to see and the technology, but that will be used, in a, and that and, of course, much more advanced technology will be used for this uh, to happen. But here, you're not going to be able to operate in this society, and that's not a long jump. The Antichrist will rule it all, the Antichrist will accommodate it all and control it all by the power that he has been given, right, for a short time. And he will make this all happen. And Satan has been practicing all of this time to get this right, okay? And this is his time, very short time. As after he was kicked out of heaven, we saw last week that he's, he's angry because his time is short, so he's going to make the most of it. And he's been practicing with all these world rulers that have come before. And here, they're going to, in their opinion, get it all straight, Okay? And that's all the time we have today, and next time we're going to dig in to chapter 14. And we won't be able to even get through that whole chapter, I, I think. We'll have to take a, make it, break that up a little bit because of the marvelous stuff we're going to read in there and how it fills in a lot of gaps for us, all right?